crust out of his eyes while I gag inwardly at the thought of his naked ass on the mushroom-colored Italian leather. He crosses his legs and perches the pillow comically over his genitals, flashing me his trademark laid-back grin. Hope sniffs, audibly and with great inflection, before walking over to the window. Jed has made a lot of money, but Hope comes from money, which carries with it a distinctly different flavor. Having done neither, all I can do is sigh a this-is-my-life kind of sigh, resigned, but not without some trace of contentment. Jed is my best friend, and sometimes a bit of an asshole. Hope is my fiancé, and while I don't think she's a snob, I can see why Jed might. They are polar opposites, triangulated by my central presence between them. Physically, though, they could be siblings. Both are effortlessly beautiful, tall and lean, with thick hair and chiseled features. Jed's prominent forehead and thick nose lend him a vaguely European look, like a Calvin Klein model, and he cuts his hair short so he doesn't have to brush it. Hope's hair is thick, obedient, and often suspiciously similar to Gwyneth Paltrow's latest style, although she would never admit to such pedestrian influences. I stand between these two attractive people as something of an oddity, like the guy taking the light readings at a photo shoot, miraculously connected to both of them, conspicuously average, the man in the middle. Jed and I met in Columbia and became roommates after we graduated, in a rundown junior four on 108th in Amsterdam. At the time, he was working as an analyst at Merrill Lynch, and I was writing long, boring press releases full of disclaimers for a PR firm specializing in pharmaceuticals. Then Jed quit his job to join a hedge fund investing in Internet startups and, like everyone else except me, became a millionaire on stock options by the year 2000. By the time the bubble had burst, he'd already bought the brownstone, inviting me to move in with him, and sold enough stock before the fall to bank a healthy few million to boot. For a while, he talked about going back to work in the financial sector, or maybe starting his own hedge fund. But then our buddy Ryle got killed, and Jed pretty much forgot about all that, and announced that he was going to just stay home and watch television for a while. That was almost two years ago, and as far as I can tell, he seems to have found his true calling. The nudity is more of a hobby. Ryle, my best friend since the third grade, lost control of his BMW on his way home from a night of gambling in Atlantic City. The car swerved up an embankment on the Garden State Parkway and crashed through the woods before flipping over into a gully. It was two in the morning and the parkway was empty when it happened, so it took a while for help to show up, and by then, he was dead. I doubt they could have saved him anyway, since his internal organs were pretty much crushed on impact when he was impaled on the steering wheel. It would be comforting to think he died instantly, but it actually took a while. I know, because I was sitting next to him. Did we really have an earthquake? Hope says, sounding like a little girl as she peers out at 85th and Broadway. Her wine is gone, and I love her again. So it would seem, Jed says. He turns the television to one of the local channels while we gaze out the window considering the possibility of terrorist actions. Since 9-11, we take nothing for granted. The din of the car alarms is starting to lessen, and a few hardy souls have ventured out onto the street to assess the situation. 
They're showing an old Clint Eastwood film on Channel 55. Urban Clint, as opposed to grizzled Western Clint. And after another minute, the crawl appears at the bottom of the screen, confirming that, yes, in fact, we did have a minor earthquake. No injuries or damages have been reported. Since when does Manhattan have earthquakes? Hope says in a tone that suggests she's inclined to write a letter to someone's supervisor about this. I've lived here my whole life, and I don't recall there ever being one before. Maybe not on the east side, Jed says. Here in the west, we get them all the time. He never misses a chance to needle Hope about her privileged roots. Teach you to go slumming. He winks at me a quick, effortless wink that I have fruitlessly tried to cultivate from time to time. My facial muscles apparently lack the required flexibility, and my cheek always manages to get dragged into the fray, lending the gesture a tick-like quality guaranteed not to impress. Hope looks down her perfect nose at Jed. You are an ass, she declares sincerely. No, he says, standing up briefly to bend over and flash her some moon. This is an ass. Oh, for God's sake, she squeals exasperatedly, turning to me like it's my fault and flashing me her what lovely friends you have smirk. Her genteel origins did not prepare her for guys like Jed, or me, for that matter, and I have to say that she's adjusted rather admirably in the name of love. Let's go back to bed, I say, taking her hand. Jed plops back down on the couch, the leather farting as it scrapes against his skin. Or else he's actually let one rip, which would hardly be out of character. We won't wait around to find out. He flips on the television, surfing aimlessly through the vast desert of late-night programming. Night, Jed, I call to him from the stairs, but he's already gone, swallowed up in the numbing blue-green glow of the 52-inch plasma screen, his true home for the last two years. X-Files, he announces exuberantly. Damn, I saw this one. He'll sit there until morning, watching reruns and infomercials, effectively doubling his odds of encountering Chuck Norris. At some point, he'll take a nap and a shower, order in some breakfast, and, thus replenished, resume his mindless vigil. Back in my room, I try to capitalize on our unscheduled wakefulness and extract hope from her pajamas. But although she lets my hands roam blissfully under her shirt, she obstinately refuses to relinquish it. I have to be at work early, she says. I gently rub her left breast in what's intended to be a seductive motion, running my hand across her nipple and down to where the softness disappears into her ribs and then back up again, her breast filling my palm, overflowing against my fingers like a rising cake when I press inward. Hope has the greatest body of anyone I've ever been allowed to touch. Her long, toned torso is crowned with two remarkably pert, grapefruit-sized breasts whose tall, barrel-shaped nipples jump to attention at the slightest manipulation. Her legs are lean and toned from her thrice-weekly spinning workouts at the Reebok Club, and above them sits a magritte apple of an ass, firm but deliciously yielding. Come on, I say, already popping out of my Felix the Cat fly. Earthquake sex. She looks at me skeptically. Earthquake sex? Of course. 
I am forever cataloging the vast cornucopia of the various kinds of sex there are to have. New partner sex, basic and always fun. Shower sex, more technically difficult than it appears on Cinemax. Platonic friends dry spell sex, the sexual equivalent of emergency rations. Sloppy drunk sex, self-explanatory. Hotel sex. Make all the mess you want since you won't have to clean it up. And wake-up sex. Absolutely no tongue-kissing, to name a few. When it comes to sex, my inner teenager pretty much has the run of the place. Hope remains unimpressed. I've got a maritime auction tomorrow, she says, firmly removing my hand from under her pajamas. Do you realize what a rare opportunity this is, I say. What are the odds of another earthquake in Manhattan? Only slightly better than the odds of your getting any right now, she says with a yawn, rolling over and closing her eyes. Come on, I'll be quick. Sorry, I need to sleep. But what about my needs? Hope opens one eye and rolls it at me. We had sex three hours ago, she says. And wasn't it great, I say. The other eye opens. The earth moved, she says, and smiles lovingly, a rare smile devoid of her habitual irony. I love that smile, and how it feels to be both its cause and effect. There you have it, then, I say. She leans over and gives me a quick peck on the lips. Good night, Zack. Her tone leaves me no wiggle room. Not that I'm keeping count, but I suspect I've been getting a lot less sex since this whole engagement business started.